This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Warning. The following podcast is not suitable for all audiences. We go into great detail with every case that we cover and do our best to bring viewers even deeper into the stories by utilizing disturbing audio and sound effects. Trigger warnings from the stories we cover may include violence, rape, murder, and offenses against children. This podcast is not for everyone. You have been warned. In last week's episode, we talked about the infamous Bolingbrook police officer, Drew Peterson. Throughout his life, he was known for being a crooked cop and a womanizer. In 2004, he and his third wife, Kathleen Savio, were going through a nasty and tumultuous divorce after she found out he was having an affair with a 17-year-old named Stacy Kales. After the divorce, Drew and Stacy would go on to get married, but the fights with his ex-wife, Kathleen, only seemed to escalate. And then one day, Right before an important court date, Kathleen was found dead in her bathtub, murdered by her ex-husband. At first, her death was ruled an accident, and it wouldn't be investigated as a murder until years later, when Drew Peterson's fourth wife, Stacy, mysteriously disappeared. Follow us on this episode as we talk about Kathleen Savio's murder, Stacy Peterson's disappearance, in the huge media frenzy surrounding this entire case. This is the story of the killer cop, Drew Peterson. I'm Courtney Brown, And I'm Colin Brown, And you're listening to Murder in America. Kathleen's autopsy would prove to be the exact opposite of what actually happened. The first autopsy report found that her death was at around 2.20 p.m. 
five hours before Drew entered the home with the neighbors. This would end up being a mistake. The post-mortem exam for Kathleen was on March 2, 2004. And the pathologist, Dr. Brian Mitchell, who worked for Will County, determined her death to be caused by drowning. During the autopsy, water was found in her sinuses and there was damage to her lungs. Her hair was damp when she was brought in, so Dr. Mitchell determined it was an accidental drowning. But interestingly enough, there was no water in the bathtub when her body was found, so he suggested it might have been drained after she died. There was also a laceration found on her scalp and multiple bruises all over her body. But Dr. Mitchell determined that the laceration must have been from her falling and hitting her head before she was submerged in the water. And for whatever reason, he didn't make any notes regarding the bruising on her body. His final conclusion read, in consideration of the circumstances surrounding her death, the available medical history, and autopsy findings, the death of this 40-year-old white female, Karen Savio, is ascribed to drowning. The laceration to the posterior scalp may have been related to a fall in which she struck her head. There was never any mention of murder in Kathleen's death, although her family was highly suspicious of Drew. Two weeks after her body was discovered, Drew went to court to gain full custody of their children. Child support payments stopped, and everything that was divided between the two in the divorce would now all go to Drew. There was also a $1 million life insurance policy for Kathleen that would go to her sons in the event of her death. It was all very convenient for Drew Peterson. Before her death, he was set to lose a lot, and now all of his problems mysteriously disappeared overnight. Drew was obviously questioned about Kathleen's death, especially since he was there during the discovery of her body, but it was not at all a formal interview. In fact, he was actually questioned in the break room of the police station instead of an interrogation room. They also talked to Stacy Peterson, who claimed that Drew had been with her the entire night of Kathleen's murder. It couldn't have been him because she was his alibi. And it's important to mention that during Stacy's questioning, Drew sat directly beside her throughout the entire thing, which is definitely against protocol. Stacy should have been questioned alone, like any other person would in that situation. But again, they didn't have to follow the rules because Drew was one of their own. He got special treatment. So with this and the autopsy ruling that Kathleen died by accidental drowning, the investigation of Kathleen Savio's death was over with and Drew Peterson got everything he wanted. After Kathleen's death, Drew and Stacy continued their day-to-day -day lives and they even welcomed a daughter in January of 2005. They named her Lacey after Stacy's sister who passed away from SIDS. Drew's children with Kathleen, Thomas and Christopher, came to live with them at 6 Pheasant Chase Court, and they seemed to be one big happy family. Around this time, Stacy befriended her neighbor, Sharon Bukowski, an Avon saleswoman with grown adult children. Sharon would later tell police that Stacy was a loving mother to all the children, including Christopher and Thomas. Despite her young age, having children matured Stacy and she really seemed to grow into the mom role. Her family was her life. Now, Sharon was well aware of Kathleen's death, and she said that shortly after she died, Drew cracked a joke about it, saying, It was ruled an accident. That was close. And if you knew Drew, you'd know that this was his type of humor. And you'll get to see a little bit of it in the audio clips we'll use here in a little bit. But Sharon did not find it funny. 
She wasn't a huge fan of Drew, but she and Stacy became really close from 2004 to 2007. Stacy looked up to her as a mentor and a confidant. Stacy told her about the affair and how she would spend nights with him in the basement. She told Sharon about her rough childhood and how her half-sister Tina had been a mother figure to her growing up. It was still in the early years of her and Drew's marriage, so she didn't complain about it much. She was still very happy. He took her and the kids on trips to Disney World, Mexico, and California, and he provided for them. Drew also spent money on himself, buying all sorts of guns, motorcycles, campers, and ultralight aircrafts. These were his toys, and he had the financial freedom to splurge since Kathleen was out of the picture. Stacy also had expensive cosmetic surgeries, including breast implants, LASIK eye surgery, liposuction, and a tummy tuck, to which Drew had no problem paying for if it meant his wife would look prettier and younger. The Petersons were living life how they wanted to, but things would not stay that way forever. According to Sharon and close friends of the family, the main issues in their marriage were Stacy's spending habits and the fact that Drew was a jealous man. She was youthful, attractive, vibrant, and definitely out of Drew's league. Drew was in his 50s, and he was well aware that his wife was a catch. He also thought that Stacy was a big flirt, which bothered him. If he ever caught Stacy even looking at a man, he would become enraged and accuse her of cheating on him. Even though he was the admitted womanizer who cheated on nearly every woman he ever dated. Isn't it crazy how that works? Drew's insecurity only seemed to grow stronger as their relationship went on. And eventually, he was obsessing over her every move. Drew would constantly call her throughout the day, demanding to know where she was. He was controlling and manipulative, and Stacy was getting tired of it. The first big stressful event that would rock the Peterson marriage was in September of 2006, when Stacy's half-sister, Tina, passed away from cancer. Like we mentioned, Tina was like a mother to Stacy, and they had been extremely close throughout her life. So Stacy took her death very hard. After Tina's funeral, she stayed behind with Tina's husband at her casket to say one final goodbye. But seeing this, Drew got angry and accused Stacy of having sex with her brother-in-law. She was so angry that Drew would even say something like that during her time of mourning. After the funeral, Stacy's aunt Candace came to stay with her. And that night, she asked her aunt if she could lay in bed with her to comfort her while she grieved. But while the two lay there crying over the death of their family member, Drew kept coming into the room, upset that Stacy wasn't sleeping with him. And these two things seemed to really open Stacy's eyes to the fact that her husband was a toxic man. And soon enough, she started confiding in people that she was thinking of divorce. But before Stacy was dead set on leaving Drew, she did try to make it work. The two even signed up for couples counseling through a local church, but it didn't seem to help very much. Drew was stubborn in his ways, and she could tell that he was never going to change. Stacy spoke to her aunt Candace sometime in the later months of 2007, and she seemed stressed. She said that Drew was constantly accusing her of things. He wouldn't let her go to places on her own, and she felt trapped. So by 2007, she was making plans to leave. She even talked about moving to California or Arizona, and she was going to take the children with her. 
including his two kids with Kathleen, Christopher and Thomas. But Stacy also knew Drew reacted when it came to divorce. She saw it firsthand with his previous wife, Kathleen. And look how that ended. But despite what she was up against, Stacy knew that their marriage was meeting its end, and she was fearing for the worst. According to her neighbor, Sharon, Stacy had told her on multiple occasions, if I'm missing, it's not by accident. He killed me. In the months leading up to October of 2007, Stacy started telling more of her close friends about her plans to leave Drew. She even reached out to a divorce attorney named Harry Smith, who happened to be the same attorney Kathleen Savio used for her divorce to Drew Peterson. It's also around this time where it seemed that Stacy had a guilty conscience, something she needed to get off her chest. So she met up with her marriage counselor and the pastor of their church, Neil Shorey. Neil had absolutely no idea what Stacy had to say, and there was nothing that could have prepared him for it. But once they sat down, Stacy took a deep breath and said, he did it. Neil was confused and asked her to elaborate, to which Stacy says, he killed Kathleen. Over the next few minutes, Stacy talks to her minister about how on the night of Kathleen's death, she woke up to find that Drew wasn't in bed. And it wasn't until later when he returned home and confessed that he had killed her. Stacy said that she lied to the police about his whereabouts that night because she was scared of what he might do to her if she said something. Here is Neil describing that conversation. Yeah, so after meeting with Stacy five or six times over about 18 months, um, the very last meeting that I had with her at a Starbucks, just right outside in a cafe, she um, told me that Drew had killed Kathleen and made it look like an accident and then gave me a lot of details to, that really confirmed uh, to me, like absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, that um, what she was saying was true. Um, so uh, that was that was a pretty, uh, pretty big turning point um, in my life but also to hold that information um, that she asked me to hold for her and then for her to disappear two months later, it, it really, uh, it was a really huge, just a monumental um, size shift. Pastor Neil Shorey had no idea what to do with this information. And I don't know the laws about confessions with ministers and whether or not they have to go to the authorities with this kind of stuff, but Neil Shorey didn't tell anyone about this until much later until it was far too late. But in the meantime, after Stacy got home and told Drew that she had met with their counselor, he was pissed. He thought that the two were having an affair. Drew would later say in the book Fatal Vows, all I know for sure is Stacy had a big crush on him. Every time she went to see him, she was all dolled up, all sexied up. Drew also said that Stacy would ride past the church on her motorcycle wearing a bikini to catch the minister's attention. But the relationship between Stacy and Neil was only speculation on Drew's part. It didn't have any merit. However, it was discovered later on that Stacy was involved with another man named Scott Rosetto, who was from Stacy's past. We don't know if they had dated before, but they did know each other before her relationship with Drew Peterson. Scott would later say that Stacy had reached out to him around this time wanting to catch up. She had talked with him about her marital problems and how she wanted a divorce. Investigators would later find flirty text messages between the two, and there's speculation that it went even further than texting. But those messages were never released to the public, so we don't know. 
What we do know is that Stacy and Scott eventually met up at a Denny's and Drew followed her there while he was on duty. And he actually sat down at their table for a good 15 minutes, menacingly staring at his wife the entire time. And according to Scott, he didn't say much as he sat with them at the table. But at one point he asked him, how would you feel if your wife went off with another guy? Scott would later admit to investigators that during this time, he and Stacy did send some sexual texts back and forth, but he wasn't trying to get in the middle of their relationship. Drew and Stacy Peterson's marriage was coming down quickly. His wife had been distant. She even started talking to other men, and Drew sensed that she was slipping through his fingers. A divorce was on the horizon, his fourth divorce, might I add. And he wasn't going to let that happen because before Stacy could leave him, she vanished, never to be seen again. In the early morning hours of October 28, 2007, Drew Peterson said he got off duty at around 4 a.m. and went straight home. By his account, Stacy woke up when he arrived and told him she was leaving in a few hours to go help her sister's friend named Bruce, paint his house. Then at 9 a.m., he watched Stacy leave the home and he went back to sleep. But according to Bruce, the friend she was going to help, that's not at all what happened. Bruce said that Stacy called him at about 10 a.m., saying she was still in bed, but that she was going to get up soon, meet her sister, and then head over to his place to paint. But after a few hours, Bruce could not get in contact with Stacy. He called her over and over again, but there was no answer. So Drew Peterson is saying that Stacy had left their home by 9 a.m. that morning. But we know that isn't true because Stacy's neighbor and friend Sharon said that she left her home that morning at around 9.30 and Stacy and Drew's cars were still in the driveway, meaning Stacy couldn't have left at 9. Now, 30 minutes is not a huge discrepancy, and right off the bat, it's not that suspicious, but what is interesting is that their neighbor Sharon called the Peterson residence after this to talk to Stacy, but Drew answered the phone and said she was visiting her grandfather at a nursing home. A few hours later, Drew asked Sharon if she could watch the kids while he ran some errands, and of course, she agreed. What Drew was doing during this time is a mystery, because just 15 minutes later, at 1.30 p.m., he pulls his car back into the driveway and brings his kids back home. Sharon called Stacy again at 2 p.m., but her phone went straight to voicemail, which was very out of character. She would later say, When she's gone, she never turned her cell off. Ever. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. 
Here at Murder in America, we believe home should be where you and your family feel the safest, especially during the holiday season. So this season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. And right now, Simply Safe is offering Murder in America listeners 40% off a new security system. But don't put this off. Here's why Courtney and I love it. Simply Safe is awesome. They have so many different features that come with their technology, like the ability to detect when movement is being caused by an animal or a home intruder. It's awesome how advanced the technology is. And Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by US News and World Report for a third year in a row. In an emergency, 24/7 professional monitoring agents used Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify if the threat is real, so you can expect a priority police response. Simply Safe is whole home security with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and out, and like I said before, smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when a threat is real. Simply Safe even uses technology like hazard sensors that can detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. Their 24/7 professional monitoring service costs under a dollar a day, which is less than half the price of ADT's traditional professionally installed system. And you can install Simply Safe on your own. There's no professional setup required. And with the top-rated Simply Safe app, stay in complete control of your system anytime, anywhere. Arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, or adjust system settings from anywhere on the planet. So, don't miss your chance for massive savings on our favorite security system, Simply Safe. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com/state today. That's s i m p l i s a f e.com/state. There's no safe like Simply Safe. And now let's get back to today's story. Her sister Cassandra tried to contact her that day too. But Stacy never answered. She said at around 2 p.m. it was just going straight to voicemail. Then a few hours later, her phone was turned on, but it just rang and rang with no answer. So that night, Cassandra decides to drive to her sister's house, where she sees that both Stacy and Drew's cars are not in the driveway. She ends up talking to Christopher, Drew's son, who says that the two got into a fight left the house and haven't returned since. And it was there where Cassandra immediately knew something horrible had happened to Stacy. So she called Drew to confront him, but he gave her the same story. She had left after their fight and he didn't know where she was. He also told Cassandra that he was currently at his house, but she knew this was a lie because she had just been there and he was gone. After their phone call, Cassandra knew she had to file a missing persons report, but she had a feeling that the Bolingbroke PD wouldn't take her seriously. So instead, she decided to call the Downers Grove Police Department, which was a neighboring county. But due to the jurisdiction of where Stacy was located, they sent the call back to Bolingbroke, and Cassandra's gut instinct had been right. The Bolingbroke police weren't concerned about Stacy Peterson. The officer told Cassandra to go back to Stacy's house and check and see if her car was still in the driveway. Cassandra reiterated that she had just left the home and it wasn't there. 
But still, they tell Cassandra to go back to the home and check on the car. She felt really odd about the interaction, but she wasn't completely shocked by their lack of compassion. Feeling hopeless, Cassandra decided to drive back to Stacy's home anyways, and what do you know, her sister's car was there, parked in the driveway, but there was still no sign of Stacy. How did the police know that her car would be there? Cassandra didn't know what her next steps were going to be as she sat outside of her sister's house in the early hours of October 29th, 2007. But she decided to pick up her phone and call Drew once again. This time, Drew told her that Stacy wasn't coming home and that she had left him for another man. But Cassandra was not buying this story. Stacy had never talked about another man. And seeing that her car was sitting in the driveway, she knew Drew wasn't telling the truth. Knowing that the Bolingbrook Police Department was never going to be on her side, Cassandra calls the Illinois State Police instead. And it was here where the investigation of Stacy Peterson's disappearance began. The next day, October 29th, at around 8.30 p.m., the Peterson's neighbor, Sharon, heard their doorbell ring. She expected the visitor to be Stacy because when Stacy came over, she would ring the doorbell and just walk into the house. But it wasn't Stacy. It was her husband, Drew, and he was frantic. He grabbed Sharon by the arm, leading her over to his house, and he said he needed to speak to her right away. Sharon kept asking him what was wrong, but he wouldn't tell her. Sharon noticed on her way over that both Drew and Stacy's cars were in the driveway. And once they were standing in the Peterson household, Drew tells Sharon that Stacy had left him. At first, Sharon wasn't that surprised. Stacy had been talking about leaving Drew for a while now, but then she thought about the children. When Drew said that they were upstairs, Sharon immediately knew something wasn't right. Yeah, Stacy wanted to leave, but she always, always talked about bringing the kids with her. She would never have left without them. Drew went on to tell Sharon that before Stacy left, she took $25,000 from their safe and went on a shopping spree. But Sharon knew about the $25,000 because Stacy had told her that she used the money to pay off a home equity line of credit. So when it was time for a divorce, they would only have to divide up assets, not liabilities. Sharon didn't share that. She already knew that information. As Sharon walked back home that morning, she couldn't help but think that Drew had something to do with Stacy's disappearance. After all, Stacy had been telling her that if anything were to happen to her, Drew was responsible. She had a gut feeling that something wasn't right. Stacy was so devoted to her children, and there was just no way she would have left without them. Later in the day, her sister Cassandra arrived at Sharon's doorstep to ask her if she had heard what was going on with Stacy. Cassandra was an emotional wreck and she kept repeating, he killed her, he killed her. Soon enough, the entire town of Bolingbrook got word of Stacy's disappearance. And almost immediately, everyone knew who was responsible. The first wife's death was suspicious enough, but now this? And when the media heard of the mother of two who vanished and how her husband's previous wife died a suspicious death, it didn't take long for Stacy's story to become a national headline. Soon enough, the once calm middle-class neighborhood of Bolingbrook 
was now swarmed with reporters. And this made Drew Peterson nervous. In the early days of the investigation of his wife's disappearance, he mostly stayed indoors, occasionally peeking an eye through the blinds. It was becoming clear that he wasn't going to get away with it this time. And while the media was going crazy, Stacy's family was worried sick. That Halloween, her children spent the holiday worried about their mother. And by November 1st, when they still hadn't heard from her, everyone knew she was probably never going to come home. That day, the Illinois State Police had taken Drew Peterson in for questioning and they served a search warrant on his home. Drew even started making plans for where his kids would go in the event he was arrested. When detectives questioned him, he said that Stacy called him on the night of her disappearance and told him she was leaving him for another man. And he even said that she gave him the location of where he could find her car. And that's how her vehicle ended up back at his house later that night. And this didn't make a lot of sense because if Stacy was running away with another man, you would think she would at least want her car with her. Now, Drew would eventually take a polygraph, and even though he had knowledge on how to pass one, his results still showed deception on three separate questions. When was the last time you saw Stacy? Where is Stacy located? And what happened on the phone call where she told you she was leaving? But a deceptive polygraph isn't enough to arrest someone, so there wasn't much they could do. And usually, in these types of investigations, the police will hold people up to 72 hours. But not Drew. After they had seized his cars and other possessions from his home, he was released back after a couple hours to be with his children. And Drew stuck to his story that Stacy ran off to be with another man. He even flat out said that she followed in her mother's footsteps and abandoned her family. But Stacy's family knew that this just wasn't true. Stacy worked hard to be a present, hands-on mother and to make sure her children had a stable upbringing, something she never had as a child. It was her life's mission to give her kids a better life because she knew firsthand how difficult it was to grow up without a mother. Drew was trying to create this image of Stacy being a selfish woman who didn't appreciate her life and that she ran off in pursuit of something better. But that just wasn't the case and everyone knew it. But in the meantime, all they could do was try and find her. Last October, residents of Bolingbrook, Illinois, searched in vain for 23-year-old Stacy Peterson, the wife of police sergeant Drew Peterson, when the mother of two vanished. Some in the community voiced their suspicions that Peterson was involved. She uh, did say to many of us, not just me in confidence, but many of us, that if anything happened to her, it was not an accident, he killed her. Drew Peterson steadfastly maintained that Stacy, his fourth wife, ran off, but police doubted his story. By Friday, November 2nd, 2007, the media coverage of Stacy's case was growing by the day, and seeing all the cameras and reporters outside was stressful for his kids, who were already trying to deal with their mother being gone. This can only be designed for uh, to send me some sort of a message. It's not for the rest of the world. I don't think it's uh, 
designed to help find Stacy. I think it's designed just to harass me. And their neighbor, Sharon, even started putting Stacy's missing persons flyers in the windows facing Peterson's home. They're intended for every one of the walkers who read my meter. They're intended for anybody who's in my backyard. I have one in the backside that at least faces the next street over. I have one in the front that faces the front. I have them all over my house. And a lot of people, one way or another, blame you for what has happened. And they might say, well, it's a small price to pay when you compare it to what has happened to his wife. How do you respond to that? Well, if you believe that, fine, and I'm okay with that. But don't involve my children in this. So Drew decides to send his children off with his son, Stephen, from his first marriage to protect them from the media. And now that his children were gone, Drew started poking fun at the reporters outside of his home. He was getting bold, and he ventured outside to talk to cameramen, reporters, and photographers. At one point, he even invited them inside of his home for an interview. The people that knew Drew weren't really surprised that he was acting like this. He had a big personality. He was funny and charming, and he loved to be the center of attention. Strangely enough, it almost seemed like he was enjoying the fact that everyone knew who he was. I've talked to you before, so uh, I got kids in the car, you know. So. We're not shooting the kids. I'll, I'll talk to you now. Please go home. Thanksgiving's the next couple of days. Please go home. Please leave me alone. Please don't get involved in my little world. <laughs> This is the holiday season. I know at least five families that are losing their homes that are in this area. We probably should put a, maybe a little bit of effort into saving these people and their families or reaching out to your fellow man. If someone needs a shoulder to cry on or they need a meal for their families, you guys should be maybe putting a little more effort into doing that rather than harassing my family. Uh, folks have everything. I walk into everywhere I go and there's this little hum that goes through the establishment. There's Drew Peterson, there's Drew Peterson, there's Drew Peterson. One of the people who did an interview with Drew inside of his home was an investigative journalist and TV personality, Geraldo Rivera. He and Drew would speak on and off camera and after their interview, Geraldo told the media, there was a tightening noose around the neck of Peterson. He also went on to compare Drew to Scott Peterson, a man who had earlier been convicted of murdering his young wife, Lacey, and unborn child, Connor. Geraldo continued by saying, He's by all accounts a manically jealous person over a much younger wife. The media was out to get blood and Drew was livid at the way he was being portrayed. And to make matters worse, the media eventually got into contact with Kathleen Savio's family. And boy did they have a lot to say about Drew Peterson. Anna Marie, Kathleen's sister, told the reporters about his infidelity, the anonymous letters someone sent her about his affair, and the abuse she faced at the hands of her husband. When the reporters asked about her mysterious death, Anna Marie said, How does a healthy 40-year-old woman with no drugs in her system, no alcohol, pass out in the bathtub, which is a little oval corner bathtub, a whirlpool tub? The bottom's not even big enough to stretch your legs out. Anna actually brought a copy of her sister's death certificate to the interview and told the media that her sister's death was not an accident. Yes, she drowned, but someone helped her drown that night. Between the months of November and December of 2007, the Peterson case had been featured on all types of media. It was on On the Record, Nancy Grace had covered it on her show on CNN, Larry King, The Today Show with Matt Lauer, Good Morning America with Diane Sawyer, and Dan Abrams' show on MSNBC. And not only were the news media outlets dedicating large segments to the Peterson case, but print media was also covering the story as well. Drew Peterson's once semi-quiet life 
had been turned upside down. And after a while, it seemed like he didn't really mind the publicity and his new rise to fame, even if he was being considered the main suspect in his wife's disappearance. In his interview with Matt Lauer on the Today Show, he blamed Stacy's menstrual cycle on their marriage issues. He told Matt Lauer, quote, I'm not trying to be funny here, but Stacy would ask me for a divorce after her sister died on a regular basis. I'm not trying to be funny. And it was all based on her menstrual cycle, end quote. He was also adamant that Stacy ran off with another man. Drew Peterson steadfastly maintained that Stacy, his fourth wife, ran off, but police doubted his story. I would say that right now, uh, Drew Peterson has gone from a person of interest to clearly being a suspect. Now, usually in high-profile cases, the main suspect steers clear of the media, but not Drew. He was an attorney's worst nightmare. He even had to fire two of his attorneys early on, most likely because they didn't approve of his media appearances. While he was on the Today Show, Drew asked America to help him find a new attorney who would take his case. And it worked. Soon after, Peterson received a call from a Chicago attorney named Joel Brosky, who, like Peterson, loved attention. Together, the two showed their face on many media outlets, joking about the tragedies of his last two wives and just being flat out disrespectful. Stacy loves male attention. Uh, she could be ran off with a guy, ran off with a guy, and she could be dancing somewhere. I don't know. Stacy was spoiled. I pampered her. It's it's a lot of that's my fault. Stacy wanted it. She got it. I mean, she wanted a boob job. I got her a boob job. She wanted a tummy tuck. She got that. She wanted braces, uh, LASIK surgery, hair removal, anything. Stacy loved male attention, and she loved being anywhere and having people pay attention to her. Drew Peterson did everything in his power to make Stacy look like a selfish woman who only cared about money and looks, and that she was the type of person to run off and abandon her family, when that just wasn't the case. When asked how it was possible that Stacy had time for an affair while taking care of four children, Brodsky replied, There's always room for jello. Peterson's personality around the media was starting to become bizarre. When police issued a fourth search warrant at his home within six weeks of Stacy vanishing, Peterson was at it again with reporters. He joked with them that he wasn't going to pose as the centerfold for Playgirl magazine and asked why they hadn't found any of his young love interests. And if the attention ever drifted off from him, he was quick to shine the light back on himself. Some called this damage control, but Brodsky claimed this wasn't the case. Is this damage control? I wouldn't call it damage control. It's getting both sides of the story out there. When asked why he was always trying to get in the spotlight, Drew Peterson said this. I'm really being portrayed as a monster here and nobody's defending me. Nobody's stepping up and saying, no, he's a decent guy. He helps people. He does this. He does that. So somebody's got to say something. On January 23rd, 2008, Peterson and Brodsky called a Chicago radio personality, Steve Dahl, to get on his show. During the months of the Peterson coverage, Dahl had been making jokes about the case and impersonating Peterson's voice while he read the local news. So Peterson and his attorney decided to join him one day. In the interview, Dahl started asking questions about Peterson's love life, specifically an incident where a young blonde woman left a note in his mailbox. Dahl joked that the women were starting to resurface in his life again. Drew responded, 
ladies are coming back around. Dahl said he wanted to host a show called Win a Date with Drew Contest. I'll do a date again with you. Drew? It's up to you, man. I don't know. It's, it's a lawyer. Yeah, why not? And the next night, three women called in to win a date with the now-famous Drew Peterson. And Drew even joked that a chaperone would need to be on the date to be on the safe side. Peterson and Broski prepared for the comedy sketch and prepared questions like, Do you need a boob job? Do you get PMS? And of course, making reference to Kathleen Savio's death, they asked, Do you take baths or showers? which is just disgusting. But the station decided that they didn't want the negative attention, so the sketch didn't make airtime. Peterson said he understood, but it was obvious he was disappointed. During this time, Peterson traveled to New York and Los Angeles for media interviews. He even invited People Magazine to his house for a photo shoot. And if it ever seemed like the media attention was starting to subside, his attorney would tell the press about new Stacy sightings or a new lover Peterson discovered from her cell phone records. But while Drew was playing with the media and enjoying his newfound fame, Stacy Peterson was still missing. Her family never stopped looking for her, but their searches always came up empty. Search teams looked for her all winter and into the spring months. They even organized fundraisers and worked with the Illinois State Police to help in the search. Peterson's attorney, Brodsky, in an interview with the Herald News, said of the search, quote, God bless them. This is America. I can't stop them from wasting their time. They can search every bush, pond, and river in the state of Illinois if that makes them happy. End quote. They were trying to push the point that Stacy wasn't dead, but rather off somewhere with a new man. He even made pleas to her on air for her to come home, even though he knew deep down that she never would. The third wife, okay? What happened? Don't know. What would you say to Stacy, your fourth wife? Come home. I don't believe she's missing. I believe she's where she wants to be. The one and only positive thing to come out of this situation with Stacy's disappearance was that finally, the police decided to reopen the case of Drew's third wife, Kathleen Savio. But like always, Drew continued to deny any involvement in her death, and he stuck with his same old story. Here's Drew talking about Kathleen on Larry King. Drew, you're a bright guy. You begin to think that the public might say that it, if it looks like a duck and it acts like a duck, it might be a duck. Right, but they're not getting all the ducks information, so uh, when they get all the information, then uh, maybe we can re-examine that. All right, let's straighten it out. The third wife. Okay. What happened? Don't know. I don't know. She, uh, we got information uh, that she drowned in the bathtub. I was working, I was a watch commander at the police department, and uh, the previous night, I believe it was, she uh, failed to respond at the door to allow me to bring the children home. The children were with me for the weekend. Uh, that was unusual for her, so uh, I started calling her on the phone and I started questioning with the neighbors and they were also alerted because it was unusual for her. I had neighbors go into the house and they found her uh, dead in the bathtub. Were you ever physical with her? Never. Never. So Never. those stories are totally untrue. Correct. I'm a, you know, I'm a police officer. 
right. and I don't work for the phone company or the power company. And as a police officer, we don't have the same ability to do things as the common person. If I get involved in a domestic situation where I'm physical with a wife, I'll lose my job. And I would never even care to even come close to risking that. And I, I kind of challenge anybody out there to find anybody that has ever even seen me mad. But despite his denial, investigators were finally reopening Kathleen's case. All these years later, they ultimately decided it was worth looking into now that his fourth wife was missing. So on November 13th, 2007, Kathleen's body was exhumed for another autopsy. There are tests that need to be done that weren't done during the first autopsy. This autopsy was conducted by forensic pathologist Larry Bloom and Dr. Michael Benan, who was known to work in high-profile cases. And a few months after her exhumation, Kathleen's family would finally get the confirmation that they had been right all along. Her death was not an accident. Kathleen was murdered, and the forensic pathologist changed her cause of death to homicide. In an interview with Greta Van Susteren, Dr. Badan explained the new findings from his autopsy. For one, he found it strange that Kathleen was found wearing all of her jewelry. If she had been taking a bath, wouldn't she have taken it all off? Kathleen's family said that this was strange because Kathleen always took her jewelry off before bathing. In addition, Dr. Badan was shocked that in the first autopsy report, the medical examiner completely dismissed the bruises that were all over her body. In his findings, he claimed that the bruising was inflicted at the time of her death. In conclusion, the forensic pathologist theorized that someone came into Kathleen's home and attacked her, causing the bruises. They then administered a hard blow to her skull and pushed her head down into the water until they were sure she was dead. Here were Drew's thoughts on the exhumation. Very much surprised, for sure. Because for many years, you know, my children and I, we've been, you know, believing that, you know, she died in a household accident. Uh, I would imagine that the first autopsy, the fresh one, would be the most accurate, but uh, powers to be are coming up with some new... Uh, decisions on it and uh, we won't really know for sure until you know we have a chance to go ahead and uh, review that decision. With these new autopsy findings, investigators were just around the corner from making an arrest in Kathleen's murder. You don't ride an elevator for the music or pick an airline for the movies. So when it comes to audio entertainment, it makes sense to choose Audible. It's the home for stories told by the biggest stars like Ethan Hawke, Kerry Washington and Kevin Hart. Audible is home to epic adventures, chilling mysteries, and can't-miss comedies. Audible is the home of storytelling. Let your imagination soar with audiobooks, podcasts, and originals. What I love about Audible is that no matter where I am, what I'm doing, my imagination can run wild. I usually pick horror stories and Stephen King novels to listen to when I'm on Audible, but it can be any time of day when I'm on the treadmill, when I'm walking through a park, or sometimes because I'm macabre walking through a cemetery. You can listen to anything from any genre, and like I said, obviously I prefer horror. Audible is the home of storytelling with all your audio entertainment in one app. You can find the best of what you love, like me, or something new to discover. Audible has an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to mysteries, thrillers, true crime, motivation, business, and more. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Members also get full access to a growing selection of included audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts. You can download or stream our included titles all you want. And now, you can even listen to Murder in America on Audible. How cool is that? All of your favorite content on one app. 
So, let Audible help you discover new ways to laugh, be inspired, or be entertained. New members can try it free for 30 days. Visit audible.com state or text state to 500-500. That's audible.com state or text state to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com state. We love Audible, amazing stories, amazing content on there. Go try it free for 30 days, and I'm sure y'all are going to love it. But anyways, let's get back to today's story. Around this same time, another story was hitting the media, and it had to do with a blue barrel. As it turns out, someone close to Drew Peterson had a confession. It was from his stepbrother, Tom Morphy. According to Tom, on the evening of October 28, 2007, the same day Stacy Peterson went missing, Drew called him and asked him to meet him at a local donut shop. Tom didn't know why his stepbrother wanted to meet, but he went there anyway. When Drew pulled up to the shop, he handed Tom his cell phone and told him, quote, wait here for me. If anyone calls my phone, don't answer. Tom thought this was strange, but he did what he was told and just sat there with Drew's phone. A few minutes later, he hears it ring. The caller ID said that the phone call was from Stacy. At this point, Tom had no idea that Stacy was missing, and as Drew instructed, he didn't answer it. When Tom told the police this story, it was very obvious to them that Drew was trying to establish an alibi. As it turns out, the call from Stacy's phone pinged off a phone tower near the airport. So Drew was trying to make it look like Stacy was running off. Now, keep in mind, Drew was a cop, so he knew how to cover his tracks. The only issue is that this plan only works if his stepbrother kept his secret and he didn't. But if you thought this was incriminating, that's not all his brother had to say. According to Tom, a little after this phone incident, Drew asked him for another favor. He needed help moving a large blue barrel from his bedroom into his SUV. And again, Tom didn't know what was in the barrel, so he agreed. Once back at Drew's house, they entered his bedroom and carried the barrel down to Drew's Denali. Tom would later say that the barrel was about 120 pounds and that it was, quote, warm to the touch. In an interview with Good Morning America in 2009, Tom talked about the night in question, saying, He said, how much do you love me? I said, I do. And he said, enough to kill for me? And at that point, I was in shock. I said, that's not something I can live with. And he said, well, can you live with knowing about it? Peterson's attorney, Joel Brodsky, said that Tom Morphy's account is inaccurate and that he has a history of drug and alcohol abuse and mental illness, so he couldn't be trusted. But Tom was adamant that it was all true. He felt so guilty about the entire situation that he even attempted suicide afterwards because he couldn't handle the emotional impact of being an accessory to murder. Drew Peterson denied the story told by his stepbrother, and when the interview aired, Peterson was still a free man with no charges filed against him. But by now, there was no doubt in anyone's mind that he murdered his third and fourth wife. 
Drew Peterson denies reports that a relative helped him move a container that held his missing wife's body. Julian Cruz is in Bolingbrook with the latest details. Julian? Robin, startling new revelations about this mysterious container, a container that has clearly become the focus of this sensational missing persons case. All this as suspect Drew Peterson continues his sometimes bizarre long-running dialogue with the media. What's going on today? What's going on today? Yes. We went to McDonald's. We had Happy Meals and McRib sandwiches. How's that? <laughs> and that's what's going on today. What I want to talk about is I'm going to come camp myself in front of your house and see if you like it. If he feels pressure from all the scrutiny, it's hard to tell. At times, joking, smiling, even laughing with reporters, you almost get the feeling that Drew Peterson is somehow enjoying the attention. Officially, however, he is considered a suspect in the sudden disappearance of his fourth wife, Stacy Peterson. The former Bolingbrook police sergeant came out of his house yesterday with a home video camera walking around the small army of TV news trucks and personnel virtually camped out in front of his Bolingbrook home. This bizarre spectacle amid reports that one of his relatives tried to commit suicide just days after allegedly helping Drew remove a large blue container from Drew's bedroom the day after Stacy Peterson disappeared. The Chicago Tribune reports that their relatives said the mysterious container was warm to the touch. But late last night, our own Julie Unruh confronted Peterson about the container and the allegation that the container may have had the body of Stacy Peterson relative of yours saying you helped carry a rectangular container out of your home on October 28th. I have no idea what anybody's talking about like that. Warm to the touch. Nope. He says he believes that he helped you dispose of your wife's body. Nope. Can you at least respond to that? Nope. Not at all? No response. Talk to my lawyer. I got nothing to no say about it. No truth to it whatsoever? None. Nobody helped me with anything. Such a matter. On October 28th, where were you on October 28th? This gentleman says he helped you carry a container out of your home. Uh, you're going to have to talk to my attorney. Okay. Have a good day. Peterson's denial comes as law enforcement intensifies the search for the missing container. Volunteers searching for Stacy Peterson say they've been told by state police to look for this possibly blue container, especially in local waterways. Drew Peterson denies any involvement in his wife's disappearance. He has not been charged with any criminal wrongdoing, and his lawyer says that his client has become the victim of both a media and law enforcement witch hunt. All of this as the grand jury reportedly reconvenes later today. The investigation into the disappearance of Stacy Peterson moving ahead full speed. Here's Drew himself denying the accusations made by his stepbrother. Everything is uh, invented. None of that's true. Here's the audio from Drew's appearance on Fox News after this information came out. You seem so upbeat. Uh, how do you manage to stay so upbeat, uh, given the fact that your wife's been missing for three months? Oh, it's just, you know, you do what you can. You know, I'm not going to go hide in the corner and cry about it. You know, it's just like I personally uh, grieve over it. Uh, uh, but I do that all on my own. So uh, how, how has this affected your children? Oh, it's, uh, they're pretty upset, but I guess that's not what we were going to talk about today. We're going to talk no, no, about No, no, I meant the dating part shows. of it all. <laughs> How has this idea of daddy dating affected them? I, I, it's my understanding from you that, that they believe their mom is on a ski vacation. Is that right? No, the, the younger ones uh, 
believe she's on a vacation, but the older two boys, they uh, they know she's missing. She ran off. I wonder, as the investigation has gone forward, how difficult has it been for your family? Well, pretty hard. The kids are, you know, the little ones are missing their mom, that type of thing. We went through her birthday and the holidays, and that was kind of rough for everybody. And, and so. the, the fact that you're a suspect in her disappearance, how, how difficult has that been, and how have you handled that with your family? Oh, well, every day it's a new day. You know, you wake up, it's, it's I can only antiquate it to, like, uh, uh, having cancer, being told you got cancer, you go to bed and with it on your mind, you wake up with your mind and you're just looking for that miracle cure to make it all go away. The, the neighbors said that they saw you carrying out a, a big blue barrel that would be big again, enough. Again, again, Shepard, that's not what we agreed to talk about. You know, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't agree to any, any restrictions on conversation. I would never do that. I, I just I just wonder what... Okay, well, then, then I guess I got to walk away. Have a good day, Mr. Shepard. It was nice talking to you. Well, he'll talk about the dating game, mm -hmm. but he won't talk about the fact that the neighbors that the neighbors say they saw him with a large 55-gallon blue barrel uh, carrying it out with someone else, uh, and shortly after his wife went missing, his fourth wife went missing, his third wife died in a dry bathtub, and now authorities have exhumed her body. And it is now widely believed that her, his third wife may also have been murdered. Drew Peterson, a suspect in the disappearance of his fourth wife, who was in, in fun, as he put it, considering a dating game, though he's still married to the mother of his children. Drew Peterson, the former Bolingbrook police sergeant, now suspected in the disappearance of his wife and going back to the friendly confines of his home, as neighbors and friends of Stacy Peterson wonder where in the world she is. And despite Drew being a suspect in these cases against his wives, somehow he was still getting women. In 2008, while drinking at a bar, he saw a woman named Christina Rains. But this wasn't the first time he had met her. He actually knew Christina from when she was in high school and got in trouble for skipping class and she was only 15 years old when they first met. Then, in 2008, when they saw each other at the bar, the two started dating. By the end of that year, Christina had moved into the home that he used to share with Stacy. Now, eventually, Christina's family had talked some sense into her, and they broke up after a brief engagement. Years later, she would go on to tell the public what she knew about Stacy Peterson. In an article for The Cinemaholic in 2021, it states, quote, Christina says that he got rid of Stacy by strangling her to death. She also alleged that Drew placed Stacy's remains in a blue barrel, which he then hid two and a half hours away from where he lived. Drew's fourth ex-wife provided him with a solid alibi in his third ex-wife's homicide investigation, which is what finally doomed her as per Christina, end quote. Christina went on to explain that Peterson also showed her how to snap a person's neck in seconds. And shortly after Christina made these claims, Peterson's attorneys were quick to deny them, saying that she only wanted her 15 minutes of fame. By 2009, it had been over five years since the death of Kathleen, but soon enough she would get the justice she deserved. On May 7th of that year, at around 5.30 p.m., 
Drew Peterson was finally arrested during a traffic stop near his home, and he was officially charged with Kathleen's murder. Former Rollingbrook police officer Drew Peterson now under arrest for the murder. Peterson was arrested in a traffic stop near his Bolingbrook home at 5. According to an article in the Chicago Tribune, Peterson's attorney, Andrew Abood, said, Drew has steadfastly maintained his innocence regarding the rumor and innuendo that has circulated regarding the unfortunate death of Kathleen. Although he is disappointed with the decision of the state, he looks forward to the opportunity to once and for all prove his innocence in a court of law and his attorneys were pretty confident that Drew had a good case. There was no physical evidence, you know. There was no sign of forced entry. There was no fingerprints, no DNA, no eyewitnesses. There was simply nothing to prove that it wasn't an accident. They haven't done anything to place Drew Peterson at the scene uh, of Kathy's death. After the news of Peterson's arrest was spread throughout the community, more onlookers came to the neighborhood to observe his home. They also went by Kathleen's home, which was right down the street. The neighborhood had been filled with media, cameramen, reporters, and curious bystanders ever since Stacy's disappearance in late 2007. But finally, Drew was where he belonged, in jail. Both Kathleen and Stacy's families rejoiced when they heard Drew had been arrested, but they knew there was still a long road ahead of them. For one, there wasn't any physical evidence linking Drew to the crime scene. It was all circumstantial. And secondly, both of his victims that would have testified against him couldn't. Kathleen was dead and Stacy was missing. So all they really had against him was hearsay. So in 2008, an Illinois judge created a new law where they could allow hearsay to be used as evidence in a murder trial. And he called it Drew's Law. Criminal defense attorney Matthew Wilson in Washington, D.C. breaks down Drew's Law as... It allows prosecutors to present statements in a trial made by an unavailable witness if it can be proven that the 1. Defendant or adverse party murdered the witness, 2. The statements are reliable, and 3. The interests of justice are best served by admitting the statements. In essence, what you're basically allowing the victim of a violent crime to do is to testify from the grave. Drew Peterson's defense team consisted of six attorneys who were very experienced and controversial, and the way they spoke to the media was appalling. They often stood in front of the cameras laughing and cracking jokes, much like their client. Hey, I need your sunglasses. <laughs> oh, there we go. How better? Stacy Who? Stacy Who? She's on your witness list. Oh, that's oh, Stacy. <laughs> and Drew Peterson definitely thought he was going to get away with this, especially since they didn't have physical evidence. But prosecutor James Glasgow had a few tricks up his sleeve. With 29 years of experience, there was no doubt in my mind it wasn't an accident. That was clear. During the trial, they brought forth Kathleen's sister, who said that Kathleen approached her one day and said that Drew told her, I'm going to kill you and make it look like an accident, and no one will ever know. The prosecution also brought forward Neil Shorey, Drew and Stacy's marriage counselor, and he told the jury that Stacy admitted to him that on the night of Kathleen's murder, Drew came home and quickly threw his clothing into the washing machine. He then told her that he had murdered Kathleen. And not only did Stacy confess that Drew killed her, but she also told him that Drew asked her to lie and tell the police that he was home all night when he wasn't, telling Stacy, this will be the perfect crime. And by this point, it was already over for Drew. It was clear that he was not going to win the case. But the true nail in his coffin came from none other than his own defense team. For some reason, they decided to call Kathleen's divorce lawyer to the stand thinking that it would help their case. But when he was called forward, he told the jury that Stacy had contacted him just days before her disappearance 
saying that she wanted to divorce Drew and that Drew was indeed responsible for Kathleen's murder. They now had two witnesses claiming that Stacy admitted that Drew had killed her. To try and recover from this major loss, the defense brought in their final witness, Drew and Kathleen's son, Thomas. Thomas told the court that he did not believe his dad killed his mom. And honestly, you can't blame him for thinking this. For years, he had been living with his manipulative father, who fed him lies. But Thomas's testimony didn't end up helping his dad. And after two days of deliberation, the jury finally came to a verdict. Drew Peterson was guilty. After the verdict was read, Drew stared blankly ahead in disbelief. And when an officer comes to take him away, he turns to him and says, I guess this is going to mess up the holidays. Outside of the courtroom, people were cheering in celebration of the verdict. Kathleen's brother, Henry, told reporters, I hope she's haunting him in his dreams. I hope she is watching his descent into hell. Finally, somebody heard Kathleen cry. 12 people did the right thing. Oh, thank God. I know that she got justice in the hands and a cold-blooded killer up there. At Drew's sentencing, he was given a chance to speak, and he told the court that his trial was the largest railroad job ever, and he continued to profess his innocence. He even yelled at the prosecutor, Hey, look me in the eyes, and never forget what you've done here. What's funny is that Drew Peterson really thought he was invincible. He thought that law didn't apply to him, and up until his verdict, he was cocky and laid back, without a worry in the world. But now, the reality of it all was finally settling in. Here's what James Glasgow, the prosecutor in the case, had to say. It's an incredibly positive statement by our society that we will not tolerate this kind of bullying, tormenting of women, and indiscriminate murder. He's basically a coward. He was a thug. He would threaten people because he had a gun and a badge, and nobody ever took him on. We took him on now, and he lost. He's deluded. A psychopath. A patronizing con man. He'll spend the rest of his life in prison, and that's exactly where he belongs. Drew Peterson would go on to be sentenced to 38 years in prison, and he isn't eligible for release until he's 93 years old. Peterson's defense attorneys threatened to appeal the verdict, taking it all the way to the Supreme Court, because they believed Drew's law was unconstitutional. But all of his appeals have been denied. In fact, in 2016, he got more jail time added onto his sentence for trying to hire a hitman to kill James Glasgow, the prosecutor in his case. Drew allegedly told the inmate that if he could do this for him, it would be the best Christmas present ever. After the inmate told authorities about this, they wired him and recorded a conversation where the inmate said, I told him what you said, that it's the green light on, that basically go ahead and kill him. That's what you wanted, right? It ain't no turning back. To which Peterson responded, Okay, all right, I'm in. From the first time we talked about it, there was no turning back. If I get some booze in here, we'll celebrate that night. Peterson was found guilty of solicitation of murder, and an additional 40 years was added on to his sentence. Now, something very interesting about this case is that in May of 2022, Peterson's former defense attorney, Joel Brodsky, says that he's considering telling the police and news media what he knows about Stacy Peterson. And the reason he's doing this is because his license to practice law was revoked after several instances of misconduct. And he figures since Drew is never getting out of prison, why not? In an interview with WGN Investigates, Brodsky says, Drew told you 
what happened to Stacy. I, I know everything about both of his wives. Everything. He's never getting out of jail, so it's not going to hurt him. And uh, wouldn't you never practice law again? Well, I don't think I'm ever practicing law again anyway, so what's the difference, right? I mean, decisions, rulings, uh, opinions, uh, you know, are made based on not op upon not what the facts are or uh, what the law is, but are being done based upon who you are and who you know and what your financial connection to them are. And, and if, if that's, I don't want to get involved in that anymore. I would never do anything that would hurt a, that would hurt a former client, but he's in prison. He's never getting out. So if he was a man, he would say, you know, say, okay, I'm, I'm done. Here's what happened so that people can, you know, can have res have uh, the matter resolved and they you know have closure but he told wgn investigates before i pull the pin on a hand grenade i need to give the matter a good deal of thought i don't think that's unreasonable as of today brodsky has yet to come forward with any information regarding what he knows about stacy peterson's disappearance as of today brodsky has yet to come forward with any information regarding what he knows about stacy peterson's disappearance and unfortunately, that's where our story ends. Although there was a small victory in the case, with Drew's conviction of Kathleen's murder, Stacy Peterson's body has still never been found. It's been over 15 years since her disappearance, and there haven't been any sightings of her either, meaning Drew's claims that she ran off with another man are extremely unlikely, even though we already knew that. Stacy's family has come to terms that they will never see her again. They know that she's gone, but there's still an emptiness in their hearts, knowing that her body is still out there somewhere. Her sister Cassandra strongly believes that her body is located in the Lockport Canal, most likely still in the blue barrel that Drew used to dispose of her. In May of 2021, her family used sonar to try and search for her remains, but nothing was found. Regardless, her family has stated that they will devote the rest of their lives to finding her and giving Stacy a proper burial. And hopefully, the people who know where she is, like Drew and his former attorneys, will grow a conscience and help bring her family closure. These kinds of cases are difficult, the ones that end with many questions. And although we may never get the answers we want, I do find comfort in the fact that police officers are never treated well in prison. And I hope that every day, Drew Peterson is getting what he deserves, one way or another. Hey everybody, it's Colin here. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Murder in America. Courtney and I are so happy to have y'all here. This story is definitely just shocking to me personally because a killer cop, someone who's supposed to uphold the law and enforce the law, and in the background, he's actually breaking almost every law you can possibly break. Not a good dude. But this week, I want to shout out all of our patrons that we missed the last couple of weeks, starting with Casey Knight, Kelly Geis, Melissa Rines, Richard Wineski Jr., Terry Page, The Right, Sierra Peterson, Crystal Sanchez, Ashley Daggett, Maya Kostinov, Desai, Talia Diaz, Christine Dungau, Evan Broyles, Eric Ross, Kristen Patton, Kobe Bishop, Jessica Teco, Toby Ward, Alyssa Shoemaker, Jose Ramos, and Norstein Riley. I hope I didn't slaughter anybody's name too badly, but thank 
thank you all for being patrons. If you're wondering what Patreon is, you can just head to patreon.com and search Murder in America. We post the ad-free versions of every single episode on Patreon as soon as the show goes live on all streaming platforms. And we noticed that a lot of people listened to our John Wayne Gacy Part 4 episode, the conspiracy episode. That actually just recently became our highest played episode of all time. So if you're new here, hi from both Courtney and I. Courtney's currently working away at next week's episode, which is... Let me tell you one of the most gruesome, horrific true crime stories you will ever hear. And it's one of Courtney's personal favorite cases because it's just so bizarre. You never know what turn the story is going to take. But you can follow us on Instagram at Murder in America. See photos from every case we cover. And as always, we'll see you all next week. Hope you have a great weekend. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.